Hi, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Larissa. And we're creatives coming alongside you to learn and grow on our journeys to success. And you know what time it is? Broke, Broke at, at the Oscars, the Oscars time. time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. I was talking to my sister. We were uh, shopping for clothes and, you know, we were looking at dresses and my sister was like, you know, oh yeah, if you go to the Oscars, you know, you, then you could just like, oh, then I could afford to buy these dresses. He, she's like, <laughs> no, actually you still couldn't because you'd be broke at, broke the, at Oscars. the Oscars. And I was like, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, it's so, catching on. The, so. the name is becoming a trend at least just wear your jeans yeah. to the Oscars. <laughs> Honestly, pajamas, I don't If know. I ever go to the Oscars, I might. No. I might. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> All right, on that I'm note. I'm really thinking about it now, no. but okay, we should probably move on. <laughs> no, uh un- unrelated to the actual event of going to the Oscars, yes, but much have- more important. Much more important. Yes. We have have a a guest, Kevin Peoples. He's a famous director. Well, yes, (laughs) (laughs) famous director. And um, he's here to talk to us today. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, thank you guys for having me. This is this is a blast. Yes. Yeah. We're so excited to have you on here. I know you have much wisdom to share. Uh, Would you mind to take just a few minutes and kind of introduce yourself to our audience? Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in film. Yeah. First, I got to say, I love the the name of this podcast. You know, just like you guys (laughs) going to the Oscars was a dream, you know, as a a kid. And uh, just hearing this title, I'm like, that is just like this catchy, amazing title. I've got to be on this show and uh you know maybe (laughs) maybe one day we'll all be broke at the oscars together i mean okay if we all wear jeans that (laughs) yes (laughs) it's a group thing yeah Yeah. it's a group yeah yeah (laughs) well thank you for the introduction uh i don't uh don't know if i'm quite famous but uh i am living my dream that i set out Mm -hmm. to do since i was nine and a half years old um i had uh, a little phase where i was like maybe i could be one of those trash truck guys who hangs on the back and doesn't have to wear a seatbelt. And my brother quickly okay. reminded me that that's not a profitable career. Um, but it'd be fun, well, though. I mean, what what yeah. kid doesn't want to wear a seatbelt you know, <laughs> for your job? I know, right? Uh, so I had a quick little phase of that. Uh, but then, you know, just seeing the magic of storytelling and the magic of what a camera uh, can do and, and bring anything is possible when you put a camera in front of, of mm. people. And uh, that just captured me. And so, um, you know, been wanting to be a, a movie director since I was nine and a half and uh, finally living my dream. I've got a film coming out in theaters uh, this fall uh, that we shot last year. Got delayed a little bit with COVID, but um, yeah. but it'll be out in theaters. What's the name of that film? Uh, the name of the film is Life Mark. Okay. Um, right. Nice. So yes. it is the next uh, Kendrick Brothers production. Uh, they... Um, gracefully let me uh, fill the the director's chair for them uh, on their next film and they let Aaron Burns fill the the, the production role uh, for Steven so mm, that's um, awesome. so they they passed on the mantle and uh, wow. and uh, got to got to kind of fill their shoes and work alongside of them so it was a mm. it was a blast well we are very excited to uh, I think we mostly wanted to talk to you about directing today I know that you are 
multifaceted and and have done several things in production but yeah we wanted to focus on uh directing a little bit so do you want to start us off with some questions yeah so we have a whole list of things yes (laughs) but um (laughs) i i don't know as we we like to go along the process of like starting in Mm -hmm. (laughs) pre-production as one should always start um a very good place to start um you know so just kind of jumping right in what are and this is a very broad question um but what are some of your first steps in pre-production as a director? Um, and, and I guess I have, I have a follow-up as like, as far as like being hired on as a director, your first steps maybe versus um, directing your own projects. It, it, there might be, I don't know if there's a difference in what you would do and how, where you would start. Um, but yeah, your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, a great place to start. Uh, the way I'll describe it is, you know, you can be um, there's different types of directors that you can be, and I think mm-hmm. when you start out as a kid and you want to be like, hey, I want to direct movies, you think about telling your own stories and directing your own movies, and then you know that would be more of kind of like an independent director. Um, mm-hmm. Despite whatever distribution you get, uh, you know, if it becomes a studio film through distribution, um, in my definition, an independent director is one who is, um, you may or may not be producing, but you're, you kind of have that producer hat in the sense that you are um, in charge of casting, you're in charge of going out and finding the funding, you're in charge of kind of, you hire people and you delegate, but it starts with you at the head and then you hire producers, you bring on the team and they may have more power than you in one place or another, but it's an idea that's kind of burst from you. Uh, And then you have studio directors that get hired by producers or by a studio, and you're basically doing a job for them, kind of a work for hire. So another way to look at it is as a studio director uh, is kind of being like a surrogate uh, mother, where uh, instead of having your own baby and then, you know, choosing if you want to parent it or adopt it, being a surrogate, you're it's completely someone else's idea and you're doing it completely for them and it's just, it gets ripped away and it's theirs. Mm. Um, so you, you have your, your control over it for a short little, little time, uh, but then when the producers are ultimately in control, they have the say on the edit, they have the say on the casting, uh, they could even fire you. Um, you know, at one point if you um, have creative differences, I'm sure you guys have seen directors getting fired for creative differences or leaving the project. Mm-hmm. Um, right. you know, yeah. s- stuff with like Star Wars and Marvel films, you've seen those, those things, or even in a franchise film, you might have different directors on every film in that series because they're studio directors, um, you know, similar to television. So, uh, I set out to be an independent director and, uh, have become more or less like a studio director. I'll be working on a script or a project of mine and someone will call and say, Hey, we've got a funded project and, you know, we'd love for you to direct it you know, are you interested in this project? And then you either look over what the idea is. And uh, so far, a lot of my projects have been based on uh, true life stories. So it's looking at the source material Mm -hmm. and saying, is this something that I feel qualified and comfortable to tell? Do I feel like I can not let the client down, you know, on uh, delivering their project? Um, But again, it's basically a work for hire. You know, you, you know, going into it that I'm making something for them. I'm bringing my skills to it. But at the end of the day, it's their project. It's their film uh, that they get to walk away with. So uh, not something that you, as a kid, set out to uh, uh, to be. Uh, you don't really think of it in that way. But 
Um, these last two films uh, that have been theatrical releases uh, for me have been, you know, I've been a studio director on them. So um, you get a lot of um, a lot of creative power and uh, a lot of decision making. But, um, you know, like on this one, I got first draft of writing the script and then you hand that off to the executive producers. And then, uh, you know, they knowing their audience, knowing uh, the budget and those kinds of things, they make changes uh, to it. And depending on schedule and time, they may come back and say, what do you think about this? Or they come back and say, hey, here's what it is. You've got to live with it. And then, mm -hmm. right. you know, you move on. So through that process and through the mentorship process, you learn a lot about um, where the creativity meets budget. And that's really kind of a big thing in the at least the, the Christian film world and the, and the low budget um, movies is, um, you know, I tend to write uh, a lot of scenes. When you write a story, you, you want to write the best story possible. You don't want to think about, well, we can't afford for them to go here. But yeah. once you get that script, then they say, okay, we've, we've got to cut 10 locations. So right. you say, okay, well, instead of going outside in the front yard and speaking, they'll have that whole, you know, two conversations will be in, in the house. And then you kind of make those those changes to the script and then you then you move on so um, going back to your question of kind of that starting process uh, you know as a studio director you really say do I love this material and can I see this through uh, to the end am I going to be giving it my all all the way through and if you don't really feel attached to it or you know in love with it then as exciting as it's going to be you know that you're probably going to let them down at some point and that's um, it's better to let them find the right person for the job than for you to mm -hmm. get a job to learn or get experience or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And that's so important too, because, you know, even, even for studio directors, uh, you can often tell as the audience watching a movie, whether or not the people making it cared about mm -hmm. the movie, you know, you can, you can tell if it's like someone was really passionate about telling the story or this was just a cash grab, you know? Yeah, and so, exactly. Yeah, as filmmakers, we have to, you know, do things and sometimes sacrifice some creativity in order to have a sustainable career. Uh, and so, yeah, that that's a very difficult balance to strike. So thanks for uh, laying that out for us. That was, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you approach a script specifically that, uh, Either that, because I, I imagine when you write it, you're very familiar with the characters. You, you know, have certain things about the story that you know are like the key things that are very important to you. How do you go about that process when someone else just hands you a script of sort of familiarizing yourself with it and then also finding things in someone else's script that you can grab onto and say, okay, these are really important. This is how I need to approach the script. Yeah. Um, I mean, so far, the, the films that I've directed, um, I've been able to write, um, oh, at least co-write okay. or write the scripts. Um, I haven't yet, um, as far as the feature film work, I haven't been handed a script and then had to go forward with it. Um, you know, I've had commercials and promotional videos and things where um, people have written the scripts, um, you know, on that side, you know, for back when before I did features and I did client work, there was a, a 10 episode series um, for a company online. So it was kind of like 10 short films that promoted uh, a product. Um, so it was kind of like a 35 minute feature film, so to speak, mm. in like 10 episodes. And so they hired a writer and, you know, the writer would give you scripts and you'd look over them and it's 
kind of the same way that whenever you write a script and the producers say, here's kind of the budget side of things, you know, they hand it to you and you could say, hey, we can do this or we can even do something greater in the budget you've given us. Here's an idea. And they go back and kind of retweak, uh, retweak those scripts. But um, so far I've been blessed to be handed projects that, um, you know, that they want to either write or co-write. Um, and so the last two I've been able to co-write with Alex Kendrick. And uh, it's just a fun, uh, you know, team effort where, for example, on, on the film Like Arrows that we shot in 2017, uh, it went through 50 years of time. And mm -hmm. Alex and his brothers had just done a tribute for their parents where they had a 50th um, uh, anniversary tribute. And so I was like, hey, I don't know what the best thing to say at those scenes are because I've never done that for my parents. You know, I'm a young parent. We've got the kids in diapers running around at home. <laughs> so I wrote the structure of that scene. You know, people come in here. Here's where they need to enter and exit. Here's the vision we have for the entire uh, the entire moment and the emotional beats. But I would say, you know, Alex, insert dialogue here for what mm -hmm. this person needs to say based on the experience you've had. And so I wrote most of the first half of that movie, and then Alex wrote more of the dialogue in the last half as people got older, and then it, it you know, blended together. And so it's really kind of finding uh, ways uh, to say, you know, I'm not good at everything. I don't have experience here, and being willing to admit that and say, hey, I can, I can write this scene where the baby has a poopy diaper because that just happened in my house yesterday. So I'll write that, <laughs> um, but you write this, and... Um, you know, make sure and compliment them. Like, nobody can do this better than you. I can't touch this kind of a thing. And then once they write it, you know, then you can both see different perspectives and say, hey, what if we shorten it? Or what if I take a moment here that I wrote and add that in as kind of a backstory memory into what you wrote? And then, you know, it all works together. That's so great. And uh, yeah, that's something that I feel like we come back to all the time on this podcast with everyone that we have yeah. on is communication and collaboration. Mm. And I think that speaks to just your maturity as a director, being able to recognize like, hey, you know, if if someone else can do this part and it will be stronger to be able to delegate and collaborate and all of that. So yeah, that's really, that's very important. And that's really yeah. cool that you, you brought that out. That brings up another thought on kind of when we're comparing studio directors to kind of independent, there's a script that I've been working on for about four, four or five years now, and I think I'm on draft 13. Um, and it's, you know, when you don't have funding, when you don't have anybody attached to it, you, you've got to fight for it and you've got to make it as best as you can. And part of the reason it's taken so long is you're working on it and someone calls and says, here's a movie, and you're like, okay, I've got no funding for mine. Yours is completely funded and you believe in the project, so you take a break for a year or two and do a film. And whenever it's a, kind of a studio film where the funding's already there, uh, the, the, the main cast is already there, you kind of work on a schedule, and it's like, okay, you've got four months to work on a script. And whether or not you are completely happy with that script, that's as much time as you have, because they've got their schedule for a certain summer, they've got a release schedule for theaters, and you've got to go with it. And so sometimes you you end up tweaking the script more on set or kind of on the day, you know, they, they go through um, different colors of your script um, when you make revisions. And so you've got to keep printing, you know, different pages and adding them in the script. And I think we went through like six or seven different color sets or revisions, uh, you know, because we'd either get there and uh, you know, like we've already said that dialogue somewhere else in the film and mm. we just now picked up on it because you don't have time in those initial four months to 
go over it and go over it and go over it and yeah you know that kind of a thing so it's um you just got to say you know this is what it is and we've got to be happy with it and mm-hmm. hopefully that that teamwork like you guys mentioned uh somebody will catch it um yeah. sometimes you know there was a scene with kirk where he was going through uh his lines and he was like you know i don't feel like saying this Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, give us one take with it and one take without it, and we've got both, and then you move on. Yeah. And when sometimes when you see him doing it and you're not paying attention to these are my words or whose words are these, but you just look at the monitor and you're like, mm-hmm. I got everything out of that scene that I needed. We don't need, you know, the other version, and you move on. I, f- I feel like that there's, like, from, from what you're saying, I, I do love, I love the idea of, like, being flexible and just, like, working with your team and like allowing other people's creative input on the day. But yeah, it does, it, do, it does seem like, you know, maybe, maybe that's why we find, you know, our classic, just like mass produced blockbusters to be a little lackluster in the script writing department. Um, and why, like we see so many like beautiful indie films that are just like so solid and so tight. Like I'm thinking of like Lady Bird, like the mm-hmm. dialogue and everything, because that was like her baby. Like she worked mm-hmm. on that script, like to make it so, so tight. And so like, um, just the indie vibe was just very beautiful and it worked, but yeah, she had to know, fight maybe, for it. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did. Yeah. She did. I don't know. And you, you hear about like, of course you hear about like things like Aaron Sorkin and like, of course he makes huge movies, but he fights for his words too, but I don't know. It's like a certain level. I don't know. It's just very interesting. Yeah. And I think it takes a special kind of person to do that too, because, mm. you know, like you're saying, you know, you're working on your project and you're passionate about this, but you have to sometimes take a break to pay the bills or right. to do something yeah. else. And so to not give up until to keep fighting is sometimes challenging, but yeah. can be very rewarding too. When you, when you finally get to make that dream project and and see it yeah it can be very rewarding and that's one of my complaints when you go see a a a tentpole film and you know it's like they've got all the money in the world to make anything happen and it looks beautiful the rotoscoping is flawless you know everything is solid in the film but it's just like the story was just it just there was something missing and Mm -hmm. you know once you kind of understand this the system you know you realize like they probably had a schedule with, you know, actors built out on when they had everybody available. They know that they're going to release these every two years. So there's only so much time and you know, the script is going to get approved and shot, um, you know, up until the last minute because they're going to make this film. They know it's going to make money. Like, you know, if you hear the script of Spider-Man is going to be bad, are you not going to go see it? You're probably still going to go see the film. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, the, the uh, movie is going to be what it is and the script's going to be what it is. And, and I don't think they, when they realize that people are going to come and spend the money on the tickets, I don't think they mm-hmm. fight as hard for the scripts as like you talked about with the indie films where, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, whether it's theatrically distributed or not, you know, the person had to fight for it uh, to get yeah. it made. Sounds like we need to fix the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear me, little me yeah. talking about fighting against the system. <laughs> oh, rage boy. against that machine. <laughs> Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think one of the best screenwriting advice I heard uh, was just, you know, write the movie that you want to see. You know, if you you have all these, you know, kind of complaints and, oh, I wish they would have done this. You know, if you're an aspiring writer or director, start making a list of those things and just say, you know, what would be, you know, if this movie were perfected, 
what would I perfect about it? And then mm-hmm. add all those together and say, you know, this movie, whether it's this fight scene or this love scene or this whatever, you know, scene that yeah. you have, what do you want to see in a movie that is what you always complain about? And go and fix it yourself. Right. Don't just complain about it, but fix it. Right. And, right. you know, go for it. Don't try to make somebody else's movie. Just make what's the movie that you want to see that you have never mm-hmm. seen before. Yeah. That's really good. That is really good. There's some movies that have content that... um you know, I don't feel comfortable watching. Mm-hmm. And when you realize, like, for that joke or that thing to be in there, how many conversations and how many mm-hmm. different people have all approved that one moment for it to end up on the screen. It doesn't just, like, you know, you might have an ad-lib joke that makes it on the fly, that makes it in there. But mm-hmm. um, for some, whether it's nudity or whether it's a joke that's offensive to somebody, like, when you realize how, like, for five weeks, it's 10 meetings a day all about the script. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know. That's just a thought that comes to mind. It's just that, like, there's – that's my job as a director in pre-production is getting familiar with the script. The more familiar I am with yeah. the script, because mm-hmm. they'll say, you know, hey, and scene, you know, 135, you know, this thing happens here. You've got to be able to – okay, scene 135 yeah, exactly. is this. What yeah. did I mean when I wrote that? And you can't yeah. forget those things. And – the better you can remember your script, the better director you are. Of course, it's all about the script, but you don't realize like how much it's about the script until you're there 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, and it's just it's all about the script. Yeah. Wow. Well, and even yeah. something that I've found just in the, the limited, like bigger projects that I've worked on uh, in smaller capacities, the thing that I found so interesting is that the content of the script really dictates a lot of the content on set I guess you could say so in the sense that like if I'm working on a a film that's rated PG and there's like no language in it for the most part there's not really going to be that much language on set in my experience I'm sure Mm. this isn't true for every project but there's not going to be much language on set or if there is it's going to be kind of hushed to the side you know Mm. kind of a a side comment but if there's a lot of language in the script and we're hearing the F word all day, every day. Anyway, the crew is going to be using that same language. And, and I found that to be true in multiple areas, not just language, but yeah, that's something that I think I didn't realize, um, you know, until relatively recently is that, you know, even, even like dirty jokes or something like the crew will be having conversations about the script or uh, you know, referencing the script or just, I don't know, it just really sets yeah. the tone on set more than, I don't know, more than you think it would. That's really um, interesting. That's yeah. totally so true. And that even happens on the spiritual side, too. You know, we yeah. this mm-hmm. last film was uh, uh, based on a true story about adoption. Um, you know, a mother who, you know, kind of rolled off the abortion table and chose to, uh, to save her son's life. And mm-hmm. just, you know, as we would cast somebody... And then they would say, you don't know how much this means to me. And then they go and tell you their story about how they were saved or how they, yeah. um, you know, were struggling with the guilt or weight of an abortion in their past. And it was just like, I, I can't even count how many people all had some sort of a connection to that story um, in their past history, um, you know, from top down, from the lead actors, um, from executive producers, you know, Kirk Cameron's wife is um, is adopted and some of their children are adopted, you know, all the way down to day players that come in and they're like, you don't know how much this means to me just to be here and being able to tell this story. 
Um, yeah. So it's it's amazing how that works with with what's in the script, on all levels, yeah. you know, come together. So running in further into pre-production, so um, you've got your budget in place, you've got everything in place, and you're ready to start with casting. Um, how, as a director, do you like to run your casting? And um, what are some considerations that you have to keep in mind um, with regards to the producers, um, you know, what they want to have happen? Um, I guess this is also kind of a difference between being a studio director and an independent director again, um, like how the producers are coming at the project and, and what talent is attached versus like running casting your way and yeah, just how, how do you manage all that? Well, COVID has definitely changed the game uh, for casting mm -hmm. and for pre-production in general. You know, we were supposed to have three months on the ground on this last film that we shot last year, and it just got wow. shortened and shortened down um, until I think we only had five weeks um, oh, on the ground. Goodness. So uh, you end up doing a lot more virtually than, than you would like, and our casting mm -hmm. got moved completely virtually, which... Um, in a way has some efficiencies to it, but then in a way there's people that come on with, with low internet quality and mm -hmm. that's the best they can get. You ask them to move somewhere else, they go to a hotel, they send another video, and then when you see them in person finally, it's like, oh, you don't quite look exactly like I thought you did because yeah. all you have are no. these perfected headshots that are five or ten years younger and no. then you've got kind of low quality you know, auditions that come through, um, you know, so they get to send in tapes for their first round, but then it goes to kind of live, uh, live stuff for callbacks. And we went through a couple rounds. Um, but yeah, as far as, you know, since we're kind of on this topic of kind of independent versus studio, uh, directing, um, this, this last one, uh, you know, life mark that we did was, uh, like I said, I was kind of a studio director, so there's a lot more people, uh, in the room, I think there were, in the room, but on, on Zoom, <laughs> since it was virtual, um, I think there were eight of us, I think at the most, um, that had to kind of put their voices in. And so when you're, when you're brought in, uh, I think taking a step back, when you get hired as a studio director, you've got to come in and say, I'm not going to have the final say on anything. This is not my project. Um, I'm here to be a part of the team, but I can't uh, get my feelings hurt if my voice isn't heard or if somebody else makes a choice. And if you're not okay with that, then you don't need to be a studio director. If you want to have the final say on everything, go for it. Go make your own film and you know have the say, like filmmakers like James Cameron and other people. When you watch behind the scenes, you hear their team you know, they're like, they have, the directors have this specific vision in their mind and we're here to like make that come out. Even if, you know, they've got all the money in the world where they're, they're not stopped by any of those restrictions. It's just, he wants it to look like this. So we're going to work for six months until we can make it look like that. And he's got the track record uh, and the success to have everybody do exactly what he wants the entire time, mm -hmm. you know, but as a studio director, especially in the, the casting area, um, the, the producers or executive producers are um, very generous to say, we want to hear your feedback as a director and, and take that into consideration, um, but we're going to make the final call. Yeah. So this film had, I think, I'm going to say about eight people that were kind of our leads. Um, and the executive producers, which were the Kendricks, as well as Kirk Cameron, um, 
you know, agreed and made the final decision on those, but they, they allowed us, uh, me and the other producers, to put in our notes and our feedback on who we want. So we generally agreed uh, on on the people that came through. There were a couple that um, some of us had our favorites, and, you know, the Kendricks had different favorites, and so they took that into consideration but made their call. But on the day players, um, people that either didn't have any lines or came in for a day and would have, um, you know, two or three lines, uh, the Kendricks were like, hey, this is completely up to you. Like, here's our favorite. So they would whittle it down to two people, you know, per per each role. And then they would say, hey, as the director, you get to pick. Um, but then you have that pressure of, okay, well, I'm going to be the one to blame if I pick uh, a bad person here. So <laughs> right. yeah. you can't just run with like, oh, great, I have the power now and I'm going to go do whatever I want. It's, yeah. okay, what would they, What what's the best decision here for the team? Um, you know, sometimes you pick somebody and then scheduling wise they they can't move something they've got another job and so okay we know we go to the second choice we had for that person um i know the kendricks are okay with it because they pick the top two or the top three mm-hmm. um so it's kind of half and half you know the top we had them in a list like the top half of the characters were picked um you know the final choice by them and then the bottom half uh, by us um and the last thing i'll say on that is our our lead actor uh, was a 19-year-old boy named David, was the character name. And so the the casting director uh, received, because it was all digital and, um, you know, virtual casting, uh, they received about 800 submissions uh, for that role. And wow. then we saw the top 40 or 50 that were, you know, the right look, the right age, the right ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, looking at, you know, the producers and what their... Um, qualifications are for bringing actors in like the Kendricks are more concerned um, about having unity on set and uh, uh, and people who can take the platform at least the people that you would think or that would end up on the poster the kind of the main characters um, if they're going to end up having speaking engagements um, or going and doing any press tours are they going to handle this platform well Um, and are they going to turn around and do a project um, that might be questionable, um, you know, either faith-wise or uh, morally, um, and then kind of shadow that platform. And so, you know, the casting director will look through their resumes and look at what they've done. And if anything is kind of questionable or they're not uh, kind of, uh, you know, truthful in some of those things, then, you know, we don't even see those people. So we saw about 40 people um, and saw their, um, or they went back to those people and got video submissions. So we saw about 40 submissions, uh, you know, from that 800. And then we whittled that down and we still didn't have like a number one favorite. We all were like, oh, like we could, we can make this guy work. We can make this guy work. And we had two weeks left until it was time to start filming. And we weren't wow. like set on, okay, do we actually want to cast this person in our film? Mm-hmm. And so we started scratching our heads and we were like, you know, is there anybody else we haven't seen for this? And Somebody popped into Kirk Cameron's mind, another guy popped into Alex's mind, and one guy popped into my mind. We went and contacted them, had them send in videos, and they became like our top three um, and beat everybody else out um, in that list. And so we all had our favorites, and then the Kendricks, uh, you know, called and and vetted them and and, um, spent, you know, spent a lot of time on the phone with each of those three and then, you know, picked picked who they they thought would be uh, the best person um, you know, to carry that platform as well as, you know, bringing in uh, the acting chops. So mm. uh, that that kind of in a nutshell was, was virtual. 
uh, virtual casting, um, you know, sitting for days. Uh, you know, we, we were on location, um, and it's really hard as a director when, once you get on location, everybody has a question for you. Everybody needs you. Right. You're just going yep. from meeting after meeting after meeting, and every meeting is about the script. Um, you know, it's what does the script look like? What does the script cost? What does this, what order do we do this? Everything is just all about the script. And then they're like, okay, you need to block out six hours for casting. And it's like, I want to cast, you know, and I want to find who's going to be in our film. But at the same time, you know, they're doing paint mock-ups on the wall and they're doing, you know, fabric samples. And it's just like, it's hard to sit down and focus. And, uh, um, you know, but whenever you've got a short budget and a short time frame. Um, you know, you've just got to kind of pick those battles. So they try to uh, organize and schedule that. But as soon as your casting's done, you've got five people waiting outside your door. Like, okay, here's all the stuff from the day we need to ask you and we need to go through. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so interesting that you bring that out. Because, um, yeah, casting, you know, is already like kind of a beast. And then, yeah, you add the element of when we're making Christian films and especially with someone who has mm. a platform like the right. Kendrick Brothers that, yeah, that's a really tricky balance. And that's, yeah, there's just so many things to take into consideration. So that's really true. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, I, will, I will quickly say oh, to, to the actors out there that are listening, um, you know, that initial um, decision of like, okay, who do we want to be in the film? Uh, there's different ways of kind of pooling that. Like, for example, this film, Kurt Cameron was attached to it uh, before mm -hmm. we even started. So we knew Kurt Cameron's going to be in it. Um, and then you've got to, you know, for his spouse, you've got to pair somebody who's the right age and those types of things. Um, and then there's the breakdowns that go out on different websites that are kind of just mass, you know, mass sent out. Um, but then all of us bring lists of people that, hey, I've worked with this person before. They're just a joy to work with. And, you know, we had a special system that we would send in to the casting director all of our kind of special picks that they would go out, the casting director would go out and say, hey, you've been asked to audition for this project. Um, and some of that is just from auditions on other films or doing, you know, uh, at uh, the, the film festival in Florida. Um, there They had like an open casting call. So it wasn't for a particular project. It was just seeing mm. people. Mm. And cool. I did that two years before this film came up, but I kept all those headshots. And so nice. it's like when it comes around, you can still remember... There was that one guy in his 30s that had, that just blew me away. His headshot's in here somewhere. And so, you know, if 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 you if you don't get the job on one one audition, it doesn't go well. Right. Um, you know, just know that there are directors like me and others out there that are holding onto your headshots and will remember you if you're memorable and you did a great job. You know, it it's not that you you're a bad actor. You're just not the right one for that project, or you don't mm -hmm. pair up. Well, especially when you're doing a story like the ones we do where we go through time and you have to have people that look like younger, older versions right. of themselves. Right. Right. There's a lot of factors that go into who's right for the role. But, um, you know, I had a, a, like 50 headshots in a, in a folder in my closet and pulled them out and went through and found the ones that were right for this project. And, you know, we called them and, and got them in. And, you know, wow. some work, some don't work. So, you know, if you're an actor out there, hang in there. We haven't forgotten about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's super encouraging yeah because yeah, yeah sometimes yeah if you're doing acting or whatever it is that you do in film and you know you feel like I don't know you're just kind of spinning your wheels like you yeah. never know what connection yeah. is going to lead to your next project so yeah that's very encouraging thanks for sharing that that's how it happened for uh, 
Stephanie Parker. Um, oh, she, okay. She sat down. Uh, she didn't get a slot in this audition at this film festival, and so she sat down um, as a kind of a producer just to listen to the auditions, and we mm. got sat at a table next to each other and just talking with her in between the auditions and just getting to know her, right. you know, she gave me her headshot. And so I didn't even see her audition that day, wow. but I had her headshot and just was like, she was just so memorable. And, mm-hmm. you know, we auditioned her and uh, for the character, I think there were seven or eight other people that auditioned for that role. And as soon as she auditioned, all of us were just like, she's totally the one. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, yeah. Three years later from that meeting, you know, we wow. held on to her information and she got hired and, you know, she was in the film and, and just her mm-hmm. side of the story, the details around getting cast, you know, at that time uh, was mm-hmm. just perfect for her. And it was just, you could see it was God's timing kind of all the way through. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. And that's, that's such a good reminder too, even because I feel like I don't do a great job with this, but you know, yeah, sometimes it's really easy to get discouraged. Mm-hmm. And like in that situation, if she would have either like left or, you know, maybe sat at your table, but been really grouchy about it because she didn't get an audition. Like she would have made a really bad impression, but instead by just being humble and, you know, just looking for opportunities wherever they are, it led to a role. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like that kind of, and, and, you know, I'm about to say something that that we say sometimes <laughs> this is not the right way to do things, but you know how they say, you know, if you, if you want to be an actor, sometimes maybe you should pursue crew. And, and mm. while I think it is important to like have your boundaries and like, no, 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 I, I, I want to make sure that I stay like true to myself and don't like spread myself too thin or have people see me do one thing. And then I get hired for something I don't want to end up doing. Um, but I mean, it is really cool to have like an onset or even at festivals to just have a presence where, where people, and not, not to be proud about it, where you're like, I'm putting myself in a place of service so that Mm -hmm. others will see me serve. And they'll be like, yeah, that's a cool person. But like to be putting yourself in, you know, allowing to be used in, in different areas and, and just having humility about things, um, is, is really cool. And, and even if you're able to like, okay, um, I might be able to do this tiny part, but I'd be willing to work crew, um, or, or to do something else. It it can be helpful, especially for, Mm -hmm. you know, independent filmmakers who are just like, you know, they probably need a PA or (laughs) they might need somebody else. So it's like, if you're, if you're willing to like make yourself available, I feel like that's number one, it's, it's, you're getting more onset time to like Mm -hmm. learn and watch other people work and, and learn more about the environment. And then, you know, it's just to hang out with people and, and do a job. Maybe, you know, I, I got to be a very, very small role on a recent film, um, with the, with, uh, Rich Cristiano. Um, but I was, I, I took a, a crew position as well. And it was really, really cool to, to take that crew position, to learn more about that position, to watch him direct and to like learn learn from, from what he was doing, directing, and then to, to have fun while acting too. So it's like, I feel like, you know, being able to, to do more than just one thing is, I don't know, it, sometimes it can be draining, but mm-hmm. I feel like if yeah. you come at it with the right attitude, I feel like it can be really, really helpful. Yeah. I think that's, that's the balance is you don't want to stretch yourself too thin, right? but if you can do other things, I mean, it's going to make you more well-rounded as a person, mm-hmm. which will make you a better actor. Yeah. And, and you learn, you yeah. learn, and, and especially like, if you want to go into directing, which I, I would mm-hmm. love, I'm like, 
writing down questions that I like <laughs> want to learn from you, yeah. Kevin. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool because if you, if you do these other positions, you can like watch people and like, you see what they do and how they mm-hmm. interact with people. And it's yeah. like, I think all the different styles of directing. I, yeah. And that's yeah. honestly yeah. like really cool. You're like, you know what? I don't want to do that, but that is a really good tip right there. And like mm-hmm. make notes or something about it. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of, of a unique experience. Um, if, if you guys want to use this or include this, Um, so when this project, uh, you know, for, for the Kinder Brothers started out, um, before COVID hit, the Kendricks were working on two other films at the same time, Show Me the Father and then the Courageous Mm. Legacy Mm re-release. Um, so they had three projects going and so they were initially going to be a lot less involved, uh, in this film. But then when COVID hit and it pushed our film back, um, from shooting, um, and then they were able to do their other two. They were a lot more available mm. once it came time. Uh, and so uh, Alex was on set a lot more than uh, he originally intended to be. And so that can be very intimidating uh, right. as a director, yeah, like, ah. especially when you're coming in to fill his shoes. And then, right. yeah. you know, I went from being um, doing behind the scenes uh, work and marketing work for them. So I'm, you're kind of you're in a position when you're you're technically like not on the crew because you're not a part of any department. Um, you're not under department head. Um, you don't have to go to any department head meetings. You can just kind of freely roam. You're paid to be there, but you're just allowed to go anywhere, do whatever you want. So in a way, you're not really kind of on that crew that mm-hmm. is needed to get every single um, you know shot done. You don't go into overtime like any of the crew departments do. You're just there. Um, so moving, you know, from that position to, um, like it would have been an honor just to be invited to like, Hey, would you sit next to me, you know, at the monitor and just Mm -hmm. give me your feedback, um, you know, on the scenes to now you're in the main chair and then Alex is right next to you kind of like, Hey, can I give you my feedback on your scenes? Um, it's, it was such a weird kind of experience, but, um, about halfway through the shoot, I remember Alex coming up to me. And um, he was just like, I, I, I'm just amazed that, that there hasn't been um, any kind of complaining or any kind of, um, you know, ego with like, would you get out of here or would you, mm. um, you know, not do that? And not trying to brag on myself, but just, just knowing, as I said, you know, if you're ever in that kind of position, um, what helped me was going into it each day was saying, this is not my film. This is not my project. This is theirs. Um, so I'm looking at it as if, okay, if Alex were in that chair and I was just sitting next to him, just being able to speak, you know, into his ear would be an honor. So any amount of involvement or change he wants to bring is already better than any other scenario that you could kind of imagine as, you know, director kind of moving their way up. Um, and early on he was like, you know, there's no pressure, but if, if, uh, if there's any scenes that I could direct... Uh, I'd love the chance to. Um, mm. He's like, again, it's your, you know, your project. I'm not trying to take over, but you could tell he was just like, I really want to do this again, and I yeah. want to be here. Um, and so there was two scenes that he wrote um, completely himself that were um, were added into a series of scenes that I had written. And so I was like, obviously, you wrote those, and you know, your comedy beats are in there. So you know, why don't you direct those scenes? Mm. And um, so just working so fast uh, up to those days and then it was like time for him to kind of direct the scene and like I had a break and it was just like, 
this is the first time in weeks that like no one's been asking me questions and I'm like I could go and watch right now or like I could just relax <laughs> like, take, take a, a nap, break maybe <laughs> yeah um so it was it was a nice break um but it was it was just really uh really cool and we kind of got into a groove where um you know he he enjoys working with uh, the actors a little bit more than I do and I enjoy working mm-hmm. with the camera side because I have a camera and lighting background that I brought into it mm-hmm. um and you know he he said himself he's like I'm more of a storyteller than kind of visual he's like I I could care less if the camera's over here over here you know yeah. I want to like tell this yeah. story and so um when our budget you know cut a week off of our filming and we had to go down to uh 3 3 and a half weeks instead of 4 weeks um you know, there was a lot going on. So there were times where it was like, hey, well, you just, you you know these scenes. Go work with the actors here. I'll work with the camera here. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of scenes. We had kind of two directors, you know, going. And it was a blast just to, wow. you know, just to know that, like, things are getting taken care of and I don't have to worry about as much. Um, and I trust what he's going to do because if he was doing it all by himself, it's going to turn out great. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it would turn out even better than my involvement. So... I'm just here to do what I can do, and he's doing what he can do, and um, so it it really worked out well. And that's so cool because when you both bring that level of humility to mm. the the set or the the project, that's where you can have, I think, the most um, the most bestest. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> the, the best collaboration, I yeah. think, and and yeah, like that leads to not having stress on set where you guys are, you know, arguing with each other or clashing. Mm-hmm. Instead, you have like this really sweet thing where, yeah, you can be more efficient. You can have a better end product and uh, yeah, just like, I don't know, have fun doing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I, really cool. I, I really, it's really refreshing to hear your humility and that you, you found a way to balance um, letting go and um, both, both, m- keeping your creative, um, leadership, but also like letting go in certain areas Mm -hmm. and like, and that it can be done because that is, that is something that I actually wanted. That was one of our questions that we wanted to ask about, like your relationship with the producers and how you like manage that unity. Um, cause that's something that, that even I'm like wrestling with before ahead of like, not that I'm at anyone's anything, (laughs) but just like in the small things that I, that I want to be pursuing, um, that I'm like, well, how do I, you know, make sure that I'm like, no, I don't want to do it that way. It's gotta be this way. But then it's like, mm-hmm. but like, you know, coming at it with an idea that, and I, I, I do like this idea that it, it is everyone's project. It's not mm-hmm. just yours. And while, you know, you're, you're kind of like the one you have to be the leader. You have to like, you can't just let everyone do what they want, yeah. whatever they want. <laughs> Cause then it like becomes chaotic, but like maintaining unity, but like, you know what the gaffer is like he he's like or he or she you know women women in it's film. 2022 <laughs> so <laughs> he or she is like taking some creative ownership like this is my movie i'm working on it or the pa over there like if the pa it takes creative like an ownership like i worked on that movie like mm-hmm. this is kind of like something that i'm t- i feel like if all the crew is able and the actors are able to take an ownership in the project well it makes everyone's day happier because they're like mm-hmm. Well, one, if they like the film that they're doing, like yeah. if, if they feel like they they're being valued and they're like putting some of their stock into the project, it, it makes it, it, it makes it more like a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I really like that idea 
I, I like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to learn that <laughs> some, I'm going to have to like continually learn that. Um, but that's really, I really love that you, um, that you shared that perspective. Yeah. You said, you said so many good things in there, uh, you know, starting out with, um, kind of with that delegation. Um, well, I guess, let me say, you know, doing a paid project where everyone's paid versus something with volunteers, right, um, right. there is a lot more of that ownership in there and everybody's trying to advance their career. And so when they get paid well, they can, they don't have any of those, um, you know, bills and things of life to kind of worry about that that's taken care of. And they're here, um, that gaffer or that production designer or that wardrobe person, they're going to be doing the best job that they can because when people see it, they're going to say, Hey, I loved what you did with the lighting in that film and they want to get hired. And you know, they're not going to do a bad job. So if you surround yourself with a good team, um, and you pay everybody well, um, you know, and they, they understand all those expectations, then, um, that's what makes it easy as a leader to delegate to that person because you know mm-hmm. they're going to do a good job. When you surround right. yourself with right. all volunteers, no matter how enthusiastic they are, um, you know, or people who um, you know aren't passionate about what what their hands are doing on that particular project, um, that's when it's like, well, I could get this done faster if I did it myself rather than delegating it to them. And that's where you find yourself not delegating as much because you're worried about kind of that end product. Um, and when you mentioned kind of, you know, without those boundaries, we have chaos. And so as a leader, you know, it's not, uh, coming in and saying, I want you to do everything my way, but it's saying, here's the boundaries of, Mm. you know, like this character, I want them to wear no patterns and this color palette and this kind of a thing, then they can go out there almost with more energy and they've got freedom to pick whatever textures and all these things, but they know, okay, I can't go here and I can't go here. Um, you know, like if you're looking for an apartment or you're looking for a movie to rent, um, you know, if you know what city that apartment's going to be in, okay, now I can go and look, but if it's like, where am I going to look? Right. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to make that decision. So, um, as a leader, it's coming in and I think the, the, the best thing about a leader is, is being able to encourage them, um, so that they then have that passion and don't feel drained to do what they are passionate about. Um, and so it's, you know, Hey, I love this track that you're on. Don't go quite as far over here to this side, stick a little bit more over here, but just go for it. And I trust you with whatever, and you have to believe those words that you're saying, do you really trust them to make that decision? Cause you don't have time for them to come back and then be like, no, I really don't like that. Like delegating yeah. to them is not the time for you to be making up your mind unless you say, bring me two different phones and I'll pick my favorite one. Then they know he's going to make a choice and they're going to go out and look for two choices. But if you say, Hey, I trust you to go find something, you know, between 1980 and 1985 and it needs to have a cord, but I trust you. And then you've got to be happy with what you, what you gave them to do, but you know, they're going to go out and do the best that they can. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it all works out. So. Yeah. Because they're going to, they're going to now be fulfilling like the vision that you've allowed them to have in the project. And then it's like, oh, now, now they have something that they're doing and yeah. 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 I had a, a follow-up question. This is going back just a little bit, uh, but it's still about collaboration. 
specifically, because you were talking about uh, in the movie that you directed, how Kirk Cameron was, I think you said executive producer as mm-hmm. well as Correct. actor. Oh. Right. So how, how do you balance that when you're working with talent who is also a producer? How do you kind of manage mm. that dynamic? Yeah, so Alex Kendrick was in the film as well, and he was an executive okay. producer. So I've got two oh, wow. two lead actors who are both executive producers. Um, wow. But it really just goes back to you know reminding yourself before you get into it at the start of the project, and then every day, uh, this is not um, this is not my project. This is not um, you know my final say, and so they've got the final say. But we set up uh, a relationship beforehand that. Um, kind of like you have on set, you know, certain, like the director's the one who goes up and approaches the actors, um, you know, and so they said, okay, even if we're executive producers, we're going to come to you with something if we, f- you know, find a problem with it, and you're going to go to the actor, and we're going to keep that chain of command. Mm, so yeah. when we're acting, we're actors, mm. um, you know, and uh, we're not going to come in. You're not going to see us, like all three or all four, going to an actor and giving different notes. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, so Kirk is <laughs> not going to... one actor. <laughs> right. Um, so they, they were professional uh, enough yeah. to know where their role was, where their position was, you know, at what time. And then, again, as being a studio director, if they came to me with those notes and I said, I don't agree with you, I don't want to go tell those notes, mm-hmm. and it was like compromising their vision or their project, then they would be able to say okay, you're out, Alex is going to step in, you're not fulfilling, you know, that. So if you've got the the ability to, um, you know, and some of those notes might be like, you know, well, I really love what they're doing here. They want me to do something different. Okay, so their uh, request or their note for the actor, that now becomes number one priority. If we've got time, mm-hmm. let's get both. And there were a handful of scenes where, you know, the actors would have um, – you know, we'd have enough time. So it's like, okay, you know, Alex um, would prefer or we as a team would prefer, let's go ahead and cut this line and do it this way or cut this motion, uh, you know, for time. And to not busy the actor with too much, you don't say, hey, we're doing all these different versions or doing this. It's just, okay, hey, we're going to go this direction. And then, hey, we've got time for one more take. Hey, do you think on this take we could go back, put that back in, yeah. Uh, give it your best. So they feel like, hey, they're just giving me options. They're not worried about all the different voices. Mm-hmm. Now the producers are happy because they got mm-hmm. uh, the version that they want. And then in the edit, we can now decide, you know, what do we go for? And if you don't have time at the end of the day, you know that, okay, my idea doesn't make it. The Kendrick's idea made it through. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully you get and figure out those things before you start shooting the scene. But there are sometimes you don't realize it until you see it blocked out and. Uh, you know, there was there were two scenes that we had, and as we were setting them up, we were like, you know, that they need to be in the opposite order. You know, scene 51 needs to be before scene 50. So how does that change how they enter and exit the scene? And, you know, it's like, okay, that's kind of a big enough scene. So I run up to Alex and I say, hey, here's my thought. I think it needs to be flipped, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's up to him. Does he agree with that or, or not? And then he was like, you know what, I think that, that makes sense. Let's go for it. So I've got permission, then we go and you put it into action and, you know, on the fly, the, the scenes are out of order and, and it made them work. I think what you mentioned earlier about talking um, about, you know, in studio versus on location, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a, that's a big one. And like whether, whether it's like cost effective, because for a lot of indie productions, you know, we don't, we don't really 
do studio we're just gonna go to some neighbor's house and yeah. shoot there and it's all groovy um or you know ask people from church and mm-hmm. and that's always like and that's really really beautiful when when people just like you know either donate their house or like you know let us use it with permission and everything but um yeah I feel like you know talking about studios versus environments live environments is um important mm-hmm. yeah well, do you, you have a preference in terms of like, cause obviously, you know, when you're in a studio, it's a more controlled environment, mm-hmm. but what's your preference as a director in terms of yeah. being in like a real environment, like someone's house versus like a studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it really goes back to the script. It depends on what that scene calls for, because, um, if it's, if it's just, um, you know, a conversation, uh, around the table, around the couch, you know, see what the location provides. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's somewhere that needs, you know, for example, we had some hospital scenes. And, uh, you know, this film was filmed um, in Georgia in the same uh, sound stages that um, Overcomer was filmed in, the the last Kendrick Brothers film. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was that benefit that they're, okay, there's already some sets that are built. You know, they filmed uh, in Overcomer, they had a hospital scene where they filmed the hallway uh, in a real hospital because you have mm-hmm. um, this, you know, 100-foot-long hallway with all these doors and you can have all these extras and all this kind of stuff. But for all those intimate scenes um, in that hospital room, um, it's easier to build that room on set because it's quieter and you can remove a wall and get all of your crew. Um, you can do the lighting that you want to. And, um, you know, so it worked to match up that real location to... Uh, to the set that way and so there's kind of those practical things Um, but now it's post-covid and we were kind of right in the middle of covid where everybody was on lockdown and panicked uh, to the point where it was like okay the hospitals are not going to let us in at all so that's completely out so we can use the hospital set but now we've got to build a hallway as well um, because Mm. it's a location that we can't film in at all so that's a benefit of a studio is you don't have to deal with all the politics and um, you know, all those restrictions that they have on those locations. So sometimes the location's not even available and you've got to build it. Same thing yeah. goes for hotels and kind of other big public spaces. Um, but some of it comes down to, you know, budgeting. Um, you know, when you're looking at the budget, you know, it may be cheaper um, to use a house than to, uh, you know, than to build one, but then, mm. um, you know, okay, what what are the company moves if you've got, uh, a crew of a certain size per day, right. the time you lose to go from your morning devotions and your morning meeting to driving there, your shooting time is now down to like two hours versus four or five hours. Um, so mm-hmm. how do you budget that money versus how your shooting time is and how much time do you need actually shooting with your actors? And you you want as much of your money to go to the time when you're filming with your actors and not to moving people and parking trucks and blocking streets and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, we we were able on this one to save budget and work in sets that were already built and modify them um, so we didn't have to build them from scratch or pre-hang the grids from scratch. Um, So a lot of work was already done there. Um, Like you can see in this picture, this was, um, you know, a bedroom that we built. um, And one of the things you can tell in movies that film on sound stages is you typically don't see the ceilings and in real locations oh, right. uh, you see the right. ceilings because you've got whenever somebody stands up and in a normal room you can easily just pan up and there's a ceiling there 
Um, mm. But, you know, that's where all of your lighting is hung. And so on television shows, you hardly ever see a ceiling. Um, going all the way back to shows like I Love Lucy, when they first started kind of that multi-camera format, um, if you pay attention, you'll actually see that the walls are higher than normal because they still need to get the people standing up, but they have all of their lighting gear and everything overhead. Uh, yeah, and so, right. um, you know, they build the fake walls and it's like 10 foot, 12 foot walls, but nobody really thinks about it. Um, you know, so in this room, we had a, a vaulted ceiling with these foam panels that could come out so that we could put lights in where we needed to. But then on the wide shots, we could see the ceiling and, um, and show the ceiling. So there's some tricks and things that we do there, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, part economical, you know, we can keep everybody together. We can shoot rain or shine, um, you know, and we can use our studio days as kind of backup days. So we had our first half of our shoot was exteriors. And then our last half of our shoot was interiors. But then if it rains, then we just stay at the studio and flip our schedule and yeah. shoot there and we don't lose a day or we don't have, right, um, right. you know, something that way. So uh, I would love one day to do a film that actually has rain in it because it's like mm. low budget films. It never rains. It's like always sunny and dry. And it's like, why does that always happen? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a budget yeah. thing. <laughs> that is, that is really cool because like, if you, you know, there's so many films, you know, that we'll work on and there's like rain mm-hmm. and, or, or, or there's like, um, something happened and you just don't have any other locations secured for that day because the people the owners of the house aren't available except for the day that like you slotted Mm -hmm. or whatever so yeah that's that that'd be really cool to have like the studio that you can just go Mm -hmm. to shoot at and you have your own environment and it's all controlled yeah um your art people were able to do everything they needed to it yeah they can paint it however they want (laughs) it also having a more controlled environment makes the post-production process a lot easier sure the editors are happy speaking (laughs) Speaking of of (laughs) post-production i see what you did there oh my goodness Uh, yes i look at that i'm so excited to talk about post-production with you thank you i was pretty proud of that one (laughs) that's why i drew it out for so long um yeah i if we're good to jump into post-production Um, I would love to talk about how you work with an editor, um, and specifically, uh, cause I, I know there's like a lot of like technical things that go into it, but could you talk a little bit about how you go about kind of communicating your vision to an editor? And especially when you're working as like a studio director and you're kind of communicating your vision and the producer's vision, how, how do you go about doing that? When are those conversations happening in the process? And yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about that. Well, I have been blessed uh, on these last two films uh, to be able to have first edit uh, on the film as well. Wow, um, nice. The film Like Arrows that we did a couple of years ago, uh, I was actually the, the only editor, but would yeah. pass the edits yeah. on to Alex and you know they would make notes and um, pass it on to the the final client as well because Alex and the Kendricks on that film weren't the end client; uh, mm-hmm. they were kind of in partnership, but it was a, a third party that would make all the final decisions. And uh, you know they would take any feedback from the Kendricks very seriously and kind of consider that in. Um, and so, again, like I've said before, it's just that mindset of. Uh, they want to see what I can bring to the table, but at the end of the day, it's their call, and mm-hmm. I can't be so attached to it. Um, 
you know, that I'm going to get upset about any of these notes uh, or kind of things. And that can be tough. It can be stressful to know that, like, I really love this this scene or this take. And then, uh, you know, to find out that your scene gets cut in half or uh, a beat that you just really fall in love with as, as an editor doesn't make it. Um, you know, but if, if at the end of the day you're just like, you know, I'm just honored to be here and, you know, I could kind of care less how it turns out in a way. Like, you, you kind of have to tell mm-hmm. yourself that, that... Um, if, if I if it has to be my way, then um, I shouldn't be in this position. And so mm-hmm. you just have to say, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to change it, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me. So on this film, on Life Mark, they asked me, you know, you know, how do you how do you want to handle the editing? Do you want to edit it by yourself? Uh, what do you want to do? And uh, I love the aspect of teamwork. That was one of the things getting into film. You know, when you're a kid and you get a first video camera and you're doing things by yourself, like you just want people to do it with you and you want to be able to work with your friends. And you hate being in your room by yourself, just like, okay, I'm going to film my action figures again today. Like, I want to work with a team. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, you know, on the, you know, I love, I love directing and I love kind of overseeing in that visionary side more than just sitting down and editing. I've been editing for 17 years and it really gets tiring. Yeah. And... So I'm like, I would love to work with the team on this and really just edit the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. on these films, um, we have an onset editor uh, that edits like a day behind what we shoot. So on Tuesday, they're putting together the stuff that we shot on Monday um, in a r- really, really rough, quick edit. But it allows producers and studios to see, um, are the performances good? Are things coming together? Um, do we have to reshoot anything? Um, they can send it off to um, potential distributors and other people who are interested. Um, or if a, if a studio is is involved, then send it off to the studio so the studio can see and be involved and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the film or end of production, uh, you end up with a completely edited film already. But it's wow. um, a lot longer. The The editors really do only look at what you call our circle takes. So my script mm-hmm. supervisor at the end of each scene will have a, a take or two that are kind of my circled favorites. And so the onset editor will go to those first. Uh, and then if there is a continuity problem or something really big or they have time, then they'll go and they'll look through other takes, but they don't look through everything. Um, and usually that cut is like two hours plus because they just mm-hmm. put everything in there. They're not thinking yeah. about pacing or anything like that. Um, you know, so it's different than your dailies. Your dailies are just kind of your, kind of your just dump of everything from that day. But at the end of the filming, we have what we call version zero of the film that we can all watch and we can see like how things feel and, and how we like things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I requested on this film, I'm like, Hey, can we work on this together? So I don't have the pressure of editing everything myself. Cause that's the challenge as an editor is, especially when you have a deadline and you come in and you have to, whenever you're paid to edit and you have to edit, it's like a creative thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, um, you know, just kind of doing a mundane task like painting or something where you don't really have to think about it. Um, But it's like if you're not feeling it that day, you know, like writing a song or, or, you know, designing something, you know, what have you, um, you know, when you can kind of edit what you want and what you feel like, then there's there's a lot more creativity, and that creativity mm-hmm. is not stifled. So, um, our onset editor, um, his name is Bill Ebel, uh, who's worked on some other Kendrick films as well. 
um, he started with kind of polishing his onset version, and then I started um, making my version based off of um, his version. So knowing that there was already a full edit there, I would watch it and go in and and uh, you know say, okay, this scene, you know, I have a completely different vision for, so let me start from scratch or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were scenes that he did great and it was like, I love this, but there was one shot here that I wanted to cut to instead. And so I just switch out a few camera angles, um, and be fine with it. And it's, it's great to know kind of as a team that like, you know, sometimes it comes down to differences of opinion where it's, I'm not, his is not necessarily better or mine's not necessarily worse. Um, but it's just different. And, um, you know, you watch it and you're like, Hey, I never thought of it that way. I could change it, but it's great. So I'm just going to leave it as is, but I'm going to add this one wide shot that I really wanted here to show this moment and I'm going to move on. And so we both submitted our versions, um, to the Kendricks, uh, and then Alex took it from there to polish, um, Mm -hmm. and do, um, a final version. Um, and it typically goes through four or five versions before it's, uh, you know, the final one. And then you send it to studios or distributors. And if they have any, um, say or opinion, you know, then those kind of get incorporated and, um, audience feedback. So hopefully that answered your question on, on that side of the thing. But on this one, I had the freedom to not have the pressure of doing it all myself. I was able to work with the team and, um, I probably did, I probably touched about 80% of the film, um, you know, with, with changes. And some of that was just a few scenes. Uh, some of that was, okay, let me start from complete scratch and, you know, edit the scene because I had it in my head. Um, and there was one scene where we had, I think we had like 13 setups on this big scene because there was a crowd and there were lots of different players. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went through the script and I color coordinated where each shot was going to be mm-hmm. in the scene to help us get through our, our day. And uh, knowing that, okay, this long... It was 10 scenes because we were cutting back between two locations. Oh, wow. And okay. there's some, uh, you know, you guys might have seen some scenes in movies where when they cut back to a line of dialogue, the camera's moving around the actors for that one bit of their conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it cuts back to somebody else in a spaceship or somebody else like flying here. And it's like they have it yeah. scripted out where they know that this line is going to be this camera move. So we don't have to film that camera move or that camera setup for the entire scene, it's only going to be for this one line. And so mm-hmm. the scene was split up. It became 10 scenes because we cut to somebody else who was listening to something going on here. So we know, okay, when we come back, it's going to be a fresh camera angle. So we're only going to film wow. this one you know, bit here. So as a director, kind of letting them know in the edit, I'm only going to edit this part. And so some of the crew who don't see that in their minds are thinking, you know, well, we're only filming this one part of the paragraph, like, why don't we film a little bit more? And you just have to say, okay, it's good, because we're going to catch it from this angle over here. And you end up with all these different angles that you only use for one bit, one bit here and there, and, you know, put it all together. So that's kind of the fun as a director, and even as a studio director, being able to bring that creativity to a scene um, where they could care less if it's got six setups or 12 setups, um, you know, but you bring that interchange back and forth and then you carry that through to the edit. And, yeah. you know, the other editor was kind of like, I'm not going to touch this scene cause it's got so many setups. I don't even know how you want to do it. So, yeah. um, you know, you go for it. So we would work together and, and, um, and, uh, it was great to work as a team. Yeah. And that's, I mean, 
the best thing you can do for your post-production process is good pre-production. So yeah, (laughs) amen to that. yeah yeah that's really good have you um have you I don't know if this is something that's like super applicable but if you were uh or or just when you're communicating with your editor um how do you sort of like establish boundaries in the sense Mm -hmm. of how much of the final product is going to be your voice or the producer's voice or the editor's voice because obviously you know as an editor I always want my, you know, I I want the end product to be something that I can be proud of, but kind of like we've been talking about, you also have to have that, that humble approach of this isn't my project. And at the end of the day, you know, people Mm -hmm. above me need to, to get the end product that they want. So how do you, yeah. How do you kind of balance that where there's, you know, often when there's like so many different voices, it can easily become disjointed. So how do you kind of unify that and talk through that process with your editor? That's a great question. I think in my experience, one of the boundaries is just time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for me, they give me a, a time frame as, you know, being able to have kind of the first edit. Um, it's you've got the freedom and you have two months to do it in. Um, show us, in, it's kind of like an audition. You know, it's you put your best foot mm-hmm. forward and show us what you want to have. And if it's a great idea, then other people are going to agree to it and it's going to stick and it's going to make it. And if it's a bad idea, then you know, it's not going to make it. And so um, usually knowing that like there's, there's a group of people uh, and at the end of the day that the final group is the audience, you know, you try Mm. something and if, um, you know, if half of the audience comes back and has a critique about that one thing, then whether you love it or not, that's best for the final product to get rid of that, you know, one thing. But if there's that, okay, we only had one person to give us feedback on this, you know, then it can kind of come down to, you know, that, that final moment where they say, okay, you know, do you, do you have any final feedback? And it's like, okay, do I want to fight for that, you know, one moment? Like, okay, I know this thing is on the fence here. Here's why I would love to have it in there. Do you believe in it enough to, to bring it up and to fight for it? And at the end of the day, if it's not really worth it, then you don't bring it up and that idea might die. Are you okay with that letting that idea die? Or, um, you know, hey, this whole scene was meant around this one shot when I started, so I'd really love for that mm-hmm. to be in there. And then at that point, if everyone's like, hey, yeah, okay, we agree, that's good, then it makes it. Um, you know, so we had a conversation beforehand, you know, with, you know, going to post-production, how is this kind of teamwork relationship going to work? And, you know, I was very clear that, you know, I'm not trying to have, like, my entire vision across every single thing you know it's been a teamwork you know from the beginning like once you write it and you give it to an actor it becomes something different than you know what you set out to be so it's already now something completely new and then once you get that footage back and you start to edit um you can try to piece together what you had in your mind a year ago but it's going to be different Uh, there's a few moments that come through and you're like oh that's exactly what we captured and it's awesome and then sometimes an actor does something and you're like, that was so much better. That joke was even funnier or they ad-libbed and it totally made the scene better. Um, but it was a little confusing for, uh, you know, for the other people. Like, like maybe I should say Alex edits a little bit differently than me. Um, mm-hmm. He likes to make his own edit of a scene and then watch the other teammates and see what they do. Um, okay. And so that he's not influenced by it's one person's or it's not because some people have certain strengths. Some people are better at editing dialogue scenes. Some people are better at editing action scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and so Alex will edit what he feels he likes and then he'll watch them and he might say, okay, well, that one's actually better. That one captures the moment better. So we'll use that or it's a merge, like part of my scene's better, part of his is better. Uh, so that's kind of what, what his process is. And uh, for me, I didn't have a problem watching the other person's edit and letting that kind of help me and either tell me, you know, that's not the direction that we went when we wrote this or we shot this, so here's the changes I'm going to make. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. I could have come up with something maybe 10% different, but it's not that different that it's going to change it. So I'm just going to go with what he did um, and, you know, build off of him. So we have our, our differences in how we edit, and we work together. And at the end of the day, knowing, you know, Alex is going to make the final say on this, and, you know, that's really the hard part. Like, I'm... Um, actually waiting on an email any minute for the next version, uh, wow, you know, yeah. from him. And it's like 20 or 18 minutes shorter than my version. And so you're kind of wondering oh, wow. what oh, scenes yeah. are cut out. Yeah. What, you know, what did I want to have <laughs> in there? Part of the baby. Um, yeah. You know, but it's been enough time from watching mine that I can't go into it with like, okay, how did my scene go? And because then I'm just going to want to critique it and complain about any of those changes. I just need to sit back and say, do I enjoy this? And if there's something that I just can't shake, I can't get rid of in my mind of like, oh, I really feel connected about that, then okay, that's the one note that I'm going to bring back and say, would you reconsider this? Um, but I can't go into it with trying to make it go back to my version or I'm never going to be happy. Yeah, that, that's yeah. so great. I love the analogy that you used of like auditioning scenes and saying, you know, here here's an idea. Because, yeah, that's something that I've, I don't know, been trying to to learn and grow in as an editor is to, yeah, balance being confident in your skills and your ability to edit a scene, but also obviously realizing, like, especially as the director, you've been living with this script for longer than I have. Mm. So I very well might miss something that's like, oh, that's actually, you know, kind of an important character thing. We need to see this or whatever the case may be, uh, something yeah. that, that might be better. So yeah, just balancing that, like not, I think not getting discouraged is, is the big thing is just being willing to throw ideas at the wall and be okay with whatever sticks and whatever needs to be changed. So yeah, yeah. that was yeah. really good. Like Michael Bay, uh, on his films, he hires three different editors, uh, to edit his movie. Okay. And so he gets three different versions of every single scene. And then he just, as a director gets to pick what he likes and so that's kind of uh, kind of uh, an audition on steroids where you're just you're yeah. competing. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, it's can I make this scene impress the director uh, better than the other two people? You know, <laughs> wow, yes, uh, that are editing that. And then there's some people that edit in a particular style, and you know, directors uh, go to them because they know okay they're going to be able to pull this out of a performance um, yeah. that only the editor can see because, like you said, it's it's the director might have been connected to that story longer than you as the editor has, but mm-hmm. you as the editor now have the the privilege of um, looking at what's available. Because again, that yeah. version that the director had in his mind, even if it was two years ago, doesn't exist anymore. It's only right. with what right. footage you have as an editor to work with. And the best performance might have a continuity issue that doesn't work up with your master and your wide shot. Um, yeah. And you as the editor have to say, okay, what you could tell was shot isn't working, so I've got to pick and change something. Um, so can I edit this in a way that the director doesn't notice that this has been edited? Um, yeah. You know, if you can watch a scene and you don't notice that there's any editing done, mm, as a yeah. director, that's what you want. 
Um, And it might be like, hey, you know, there was a moment on set, I remember, can you go put this back in there? That doesn't mean that you edited it wrong. That just means the director remembered something and he had a favorite take over here. And then as an editor, you can say, oh, you know, I tried that. I tried your favorite Mm -hmm. take, but he stood up a line before he was supposed to, so his exit, you know, doesn't work. So... Mm you know, here, here's what you, here's what we can work with. And, and, you know, they, they can or can't argue with that in a way. So. And sometimes that leads to like some creative, some opportunities for you as the editor to, to like try and find some creative solutions Mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, the director really wants this take. doesn't really work continuity wise. Is there a creative way that we can try and solve this or yeah. And so you can, again, just have that collaboration with the director and try and find the, the best happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. And I was literally talking to somebody, what was it? I think I mentioned the third story editing is the Mm, third story. And I mean, it might actually be closer to like fourth or fifth story, depending (laughs) on like how long your process of getting it from the original idea to Mm -hmm. actually editing. But it, it is, it, it is. And you, you were saying when you were talking about like, you know, I think the difference between like your original vision and then what the actors bring to the table and what really what everyone brings to the table creatively and um, technically is is really, really beautiful to to see. I'm, I'm speaking from like if you wrote the story and to see your original vision kind of like blossom and, and maybe it's different. Maybe it's kind of like you you thought of a rose when you were like putting it in flowers. I said the word bloom. And so now yeah. we're on flowers. Flower <laughs> so, so if originally you were thinking of a rose, but it's kind of turned into this cool tiger lily and you're like, you know what, that is really cool. And I just, I do think it's really, really cool to see something different and, and hopefully better mm. than, than what you originally, you know, when, when you were thinking of it on set and then the editors get get a hold of it. And and that is cool about the editors having fresh eyes mm-hmm. because then then they can come at it like you were saying, yeah, with like creative solutions and all that. That makes me think about, you know, when you when you're location scouting and you get you know, there's some locations that the location is going to be pretty much exactly what you've imagined. Like if you're shooting in a basketball gym or in this mm-hmm. film like you're shooting on a train, there's not you know, whatever you find is pretty much going to be blocked out exactly like you want or exactly like you have. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's some things where you get to an exterior location or, um, y- you know, something in, in nature or things where, uh, or even somebody's house. And it's, you know, maybe it's a complete 180 flip of what you had in your mind and you've got to reverse mm. it. Um, or, you know, you've got a picture in your mind. Uh, like for us, we're basing this off a true story. So there's moments in the true story because it was a documentary uh, that started this. And so oh, there's wow. pictures of things that happened and you're trying to recreate that, you know, in, in movie form. Uh, and kind of like you said, you know, with your, your analogy of a flower, there's those moments where, you know, okay, I had this thing in my head, but this location that we have is nothing like what we had. Um, okay, well, what is the heart of the scene? What is the heart of the moment that mm. is here? Because um, if if you can't even find that heart of that scene or that moment, then is it even necessary for the project or the script or the story to begin with? Um, but if it's crucial, you know, for the scene, then, 
okay, now we have this amazing team of professionals. How do we take the heart of this, throwing everything else out and getting this across and communicating this idea? If this is the scene where he gets the phone call or this is the moment that they meet, mm -hmm. um, that's the heart of that moment is them meeting. And so, you know, you look at say, okay, how can we light this and make this amazing? How can we dress this and make it amazing? How can we edit this and make this amazing? Um, <clears throat> so while we're on post-production, you know, going to some of your thoughts on editing for somebody else, you know, find, okay, well, what is the heart of this scene? What is the point of this being in here? And can I communicate that with what I have in front of me? Because that's all you have. You can't, mm -hmm. um, you know, there could be like, okay, we couldn't find an exterior of our hospital for our establishing shot, so I don't have that. Um, so that's coming, so you put in a placeholder or you know, things like that, that you know, like, okay, we've got to do pickup shots and go get these wide shots because we have to have it. Um, but other than that, you've got everything in front of you. Um, as a director, you want that editor to bring you something that communicates that basic foundation of that moment or that scene. And am I moved by it? At the end of the day, am I moved? And is there transformation? Because if there's no transformation, then we haven't moved forward, so it doesn't need to be there. And as an editor, you might find, okay, the performances that we got or the way it turned out, or now that we can see it with life, you know, breathed into it, um, it doesn't move us forward. And that's where you, you might drop a scene. Um, you know, there was, there was um, half a scene that I remember was like, okay, I wrote this and I shot this and I put this in here. But now that it's breathed out and has that life in it, it doesn't work. And mm -hmm. I'm not even going to send this in and show this to Alex because I don't even think that it works. Um, and so it's taking those bold steps of finding that moment. And, you know, if, again, if there's no movement, the director might love it, but the audience is mm -hmm. going to notice that this needs right. to be a deleted scene. It doesn't need to be in here. Um, yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, did you move the scene and the story forward? Yeah. And I love how we were talking about editing at some point and it's really, I feel like it's really cool for, for an editor to be able to use performances. I think you were mm. talking about how you can oh. use pieces of performances and like make, make everything work seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Like and pull like, parts of a performance and use it in a different moment. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's really cool because like, even if you were like, you had a take and you're like, mm, that was good mm -hmm. over here. Wasn't so good over there. Like you have options. You can do yeah. like weird stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think that's really, really cool too. Um, yeah. Editors can Absolutely. make magic happen. Editors have too much power sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it does allow for you to try and find those creative solutions right. and just say like, okay, we need, I mean, this is oversimplified, but we need a beat where this person is sad and they weren't sad enough in any of these <laughs> takes. So then you go and find something from another part of the scene and you're like, there you go. Now the audience feels sad for this person. Um, you just cut to the wide and like drop all sound. You're like, yep, that's a, that's a beat. I've actually done that before. I just cut to a wide. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I, I think, man, there's been just a lot of really great stuff. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm sure we could keep going, but um, I feel like you had a lot of great things to say about post-production. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. I think our last question 
as we kind of start to wrap up here was, um, do you have any advice? This is maybe a little broad, but would you have any advice for any of our listeners who might be either first time filmmakers or just early on in their career, just any advice or wisdom that you could impart to them and to how to continue to improve in their craft or to, I don't know, be a good person to work with. Um, yeah, just any, any sage wisdom that you want to pass on to young filmmakers out there. Definitely. Um, two, two thoughts that I've got. Uh, the first one is, uh, don't be afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when taking on a project where you're, you're not only doing a project for somebody else, but you're kind of filling their shoes and kind of taking on their mantle. Um, it's easy to say, you know, I could just not do this and no one's going to be mad at me for making a mistake. No one's going to, I'm not going to get any bad reviews. Like if I just say no to this, then everything will be easier. Um, but you can't be, you can't be afraid to, to fail and you're going to get criticism from, mm. there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like what you did. Um, you're not going to be able to make a movie for everybody. So just make a movie, um, really for you, because if you enjoy it and you're passionate about it, um, there's going to be an audience for it. There's some movies that right. have commercially flopped and then they pick up kind of a, a cult following, you know, years later, maybe even a decade later, uh, of people who love it. And it's because you were passionate and you fell in love with it and you were trying to tell something. So, you know, if you're going to pick up a project, um, you know, I've always told myself that um, you, you're going to, you're going to spend a year on it before it's at, it's ever going to be out there. Um, and are you willing to stick with this idea for a year? Um, if you, if you can't stay with it that long, then that's a good sign that you should pass on it and move on to something else. You know, there's scripts that I've started writing and, you know, three or four years later, it's like, I still want to tell this story. I still want to get this out. Um, that's the passion that you need to be able to get a project, especially feature film, you know, across the finish line. Yeah. And uh, the biggest piece of advice, you know, that I've applied to myself um, is just to learn humility um, and to be humble. And that's going to go further in this career and then in this industry than any kind of skills that you can learn. You know, I, I long story short, I ran a production company for about 10 years and was the, le the leader of the production company. Um, and there was a point that I looked back and realized that there was no one following me. And I had become a boss instead of a leader. Um, I was enjoying being in the lead and enjoying having that power and winning the awards and all the things that come with success. Um, and when no one is following you, you realize that you've made uh, a big mistake. Mm. And so I walked away from the industry and walked away from my company. And uh, I knew that I needed to learn humility in order to um, even attempt to be in this field or in this space again. Um, and, uh, started, you know, working with the Kendricks and really learning humility from them. They're some of the best and most humble people I've ever worked with in the industry and just seeing how they handle, um, you know, all the pressures and, um, decisions and everything, um, together. Um, I've seen people who are on a potential list for crew and they've done something that lacked humility, um, or, you know, didn't stay in their lane. And, you know, it's just like, it's so easy to not get a job in this industry because of one or two things that you've done that, 
you know, the, the people making the decision don't want to have or don't want to experience. Um, so I've seen some really talented people that um, have made some, you know, big decisions um, or, or things that lacked humility or um, were too prideful. And when you've got two people on your crew list to consider and this person's got, you know, more humility or, or, you know, what have you, it's like, well, let's just go with that person so we can avoid, you know, this kind of thing. And you're like, oh, but they're so talented and you don't want them to, um, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's really easy. Um, so don't, you know, be, be a professional, be out there uh, doing your best. Um, but don't do your best just for you because then you're going to be someone who lacks humility and who's prideful um, and you're really going to stick out. That's just great advice for life too. Certainly. You know, I mean, yeah. that just makes you a better person. And yeah, yeah, that makes people want to be around you and work with you and everything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate you you sharing that with us. That was really good. And with all the, and I feel like, that's such, it's such a refreshing thing when somebody actually like is humble enough to care about another person when, when, mm -hmm. when, yeah. and, and I've, it's, it's kind of like surprising, you know, for me as like, you know, a certain level where it's like, I'm, I'm not so far up the ladder as like a lot of industry people. And, and when somebody, um, older and more seasoned looks at me and like asks a genuine question and like mm -hmm. really cares. And it's like, oh my goodness, this person like actually cares about like what yeah. I feel or think or something. It's like, mm -hmm. like you reaching out to come to us. It's like, it's, it's, it's refreshing mm -hmm. to know that that's possible. Like I can look up to a person who, who is willing to, to become equal like Jesus, Jesus came down mm -hmm. to become equal with all of his people. And, and we see so many people, you know, get up, you know, at the Oscars per se, maybe, <laughs> um, or, you know, we see so many industry people and, and they've got a lot of arrogance. They've got self-importance mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, those people are so cool, but, but it's even more impactful. It's, mm -hmm. it's not as, I mean, you can say that person is cool and they got their life together when they go up and thank themselves for winning an award, mm -hmm. but it's, I feel like it's, it's going to touch you as a person and it's going to touch far more people when, when you're able to, to be humble and work as a team. And this is a lesson I need to preach to myself. I'm here talking and I was like, man, you gotta listen to, <laughs> listen to that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's really, really cool. Kind of like you touched on, like that's people who, who are people going to remember, you know, the person that goes up and accepts an award mm. or this, the person who was humble and was kind in, yeah. you know, had a, a human moment with yeah. you, you know, yeah, that's, exactly. that's so much more memorable and yeah it's going to impact so many more lives that's yeah. that's the main thing is humanity and actually mm. i was like thinking about this like kind of the other day about like just like just kind of put away the pretenses for a minute and just like we're people yeah and your audience is people mm -hmm. uh here's another topic yeah. you're taking money <laughs> from your audience because you're selling them a product mm -hmm. treat them yeah. like people and they're paying they're paying they're to hear paying. your worldview for two hours, you know, that's, true. that's you've, you've got a lot of power to communicate to them, you know, don't take that, uh, that responsibility lightly, mm, you know, what, yeah. what other arena do people, you know, pay and say, tell me what you want to tell me and I'm listening. Yeah. 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 That's um, so true. Yeah. That's really true. 
And I know we're going long, but it, it, it made me think of one more thing. You know, being yeah. being someone who's dreamed of being a movie director, you know, since I was nine uh, or ten years old, and you know, finally making it and having films in theaters. Um, enjoy the journey. You know, mm-hmm. don't rush it because yeah. w- when you grow up and you think about I want to be a movie director, you don't think about well, what is it like after I've directed a movie? You know, you imagine, you know, like the title of this podcast, you imagine getting to go to the Oscars and being a Steven Spielberg or being these people. But uh, for most of us, you're not famous. You don't have paparazzi chasing you around. You're not in such demand that you're working on six films at the same time. Mm -hmm. You direct a movie and then you go back to normal life and you pay the bills. You wake up in the morning. Life is just, you're like, okay, I did it. Do I want to do it again? What am I doing now? And that journey can just go so quickly that this thing you've been waiting for for 10, 20 years, it's like it's over, you know, because you're like, I can't wait to see this movie done. I can't wait to see what the audience thinks about it. And then you're just waiting for that moment. And it is so brief. But that year of putting that project together is really, you know, the first time the movie was done and it was like, you know what, I don't remember that like I thought I would. I missed out on what it meant to be, you know, a movie director. And that's, you know, the joy of giving people jobs, the joy of hiring people. That's one of the best things about this this position is being able to bless people with employment and doing something that they love to do. Um, And if I could speak to my younger self, I would say slow down and enjoy the journey, enjoy the casting process, enjoy all those meetings, enjoy walking up to people and just hearing them tell you their ideas and just know that like, I'm hanging out with filmmakers and like we're making a movie and just enjoy that process because it's gonna be over um, so much quicker than you realize. You know, I wish that I would have journaled more throughout the process, um, whether that's writing or video. I tried my best to, you know, um, you know, for two minutes on my way into the office, okay, what did I do yesterday? How did it make me feel? Um, what do I need to get better at? And then move on and be able to go back and look at that. And okay, you know, because you get done with the movie and, oh, there's so much I wish I would have done differently. There's so much I wish I would have done better. But to be able to have those specifics of, you know what, I didn't encourage anybody on these three or four days. I need to encourage people more. Um, I was so worried about my ideas that I didn't hear their ideas. And I really feel like that idea might have been better had I paid attention to those things more. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's there to live their dreams too. Um, and just just enjoy that process. Don't wait for the end and rush for the end because it's going to be over and you're going to wake up and be a normal person. And, you know, it can stink. It can be depressing, um, you know, when you're like, I've got to wait a year or two for that to happen again. Um, yeah. So just enjoy that journey that you're on. That's such good advice. And it it goes into the whole identity thing too, where it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, if you're, if you've built up over years, you know, from the time you're a kid until the time you are directing your first feature, if, if that's your goal and like, that's who you are and like, that's it, then yeah, when it's done, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. now what, Mm -hmm. you know, just like you said. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And it's yeah. it's so important to, I don't know, have a well-rounded life, I guess. <laughs> like not put too much importance yeah. in in stuff that doesn't matter as much. So yeah, yeah. it's really good. And I, I love how you like, you as we're kind of like, you know, wrapping up, uh, 
it in a classic Midwest way where we, <laughs> we, we stand by the doorway and talk for a little yes. longer. Um, yep. but, um, as, and you're talking about the journey and that kind of like callback. Yeah. So we've got set up and payoff here. Yeah. This got is enjoying the oh. journey to success. Yeah. And, and as we've talked about before, like success is, means different things to mm. different people. And, yeah. and I, I love that you, you brought that up of the journey and, and really like kind of doing what you love is kind of success. It's like fulfilling mm-hmm. your dream. Being able to make a movie period is like, you made a movie. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And whether you get to make bigger movies and and bigger after that is, um, I mean, kind of up to the Lord, but I don't know. Yeah. I like, I like how you said you just hanging out with finger filmmakers, fingers. <laughs> <laughs> hanging I out. thought you were going to say family at first, like family, filmmaker also, family. Sometimes it's like family. Yes. Yeah. The best success is- though, is when you, when you change a life, you know, cause we're, we're here mm-hmm. to, to change people. We're not just here to entertain and, you know, when someone sends you an email and they say, you know, mm-hmm. because of your film, I now have changed my views on life and we now have a son and here's our picture, wow. knowing that like a human is in existence because of a film that you made. It's like, okay, yeah. that beats any other kind of success wow. that you could ever shoot for. Um, and we've had multiple emails like that where, um, you know, people trusted the Lord and, you know, have children now because of the pro-life work that you're, that we're telling through these stories. And it's just like, that's, as a kid, you don't think about that, that like my, my yeah. films can change someone's life and, and someone new can be in existence. It's just, it's mind boggling and it's so fulfilling. Well, that, uh, I think is a good place to end it. I think um, so. I don't, I don't know how we could top that. So, no. um, before we sign off, Kevin, I did want to, I know you've talked, uh, you know, about some of the projects that you have that are coming out. Um, do you have anything else that you want to, I guess, promote to the audience, just any website where people can see your work or, uh, if you want to maybe like list out films that you have coming out soon or yeah, anything along those lines, the stage is yours when, when we're going to see this movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, please be sure to, to check out life Mark, um, in theaters, uh, this fall, we don't have an exact release date yet. Um, but, uh, if you guys keep tabs on the Kendricks, you'll be able to see and uh, find out about that film. Um, if, uh, if anybody listening has, um, up and coming filmmakers in elementary school, uh, my kids and I have started, um, an online film school called the elementary film school, uh, where we teach film to elementary age kids. Uh, so my, my kids and I, as well as a handful of animated characters, um, teach everything from storytelling to filmmaking. Um, all on an iPhone, so they don't have to work and worry about a computer, um, but teaching them the basics and the foundations in an age-appropriate uh, and engaging setting. We've got sing-along songs, and we've got handouts oh and activities. Um, so it's uh, the website for that is elementaryfilm.school. Um, I love that so much. I, uh, I have a follow-up question. Do you have to be in elementary school? Because I kind of want to take this course. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, if you love sing-along songs and you want... Uh, you know, we've got. I'm gonna. Say, I have younger siblings, so. <laughs> That's a good excuse for you. Right, to, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sing alongs. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. we've we've broken filmmaking down to to a basic level, and I tried to. I didn't have a mentor growing up, and I got really good at lighting and camera work, but my story and foundation was terrible, 
and I never had anybody to come alongside me. And so it's really got an emphasis on on that storytelling and, um, you know, really putting it in bite-sized chunks. Uh, it's really fun. Um, you know, we've got animated characters that, that make jokes and, and talk to us and hang out with us. And uh, each episode has a handout sheet um, that, you know, breaks it down on a, on a fun kid level so they can learn the basics and learn teamwork and they can learn humility and they can learn... Um, um, communication and all the things that need to go along to being a successful filmmaker and not just making good looking videos but mm. um, what are the tools you need to work as a team and to take criticism and feedback um, wow. and all those things um, so uh, if that's of interest to you go to elementaryfilm.school and check it out and uh, we'd love to have you as one of our students. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This has been just so much invaluable wisdom from you. And I know I've really enjoyed this and I feel like I've learned a lot. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to posting this so our audience can hear it too. But yeah, uh, yeah thanks again for being here. I'm and, glad. It's been um, a blast. Yeah, yeah. It's been really great having you. Um, yeah. I think that yeah. about does it for us. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but until until next time oh that's it oh yeah i forgot our outro we're doing the the whole yeah thank you for thank you for being here and until next next time time, see you we'll see on set we have to say it together we'll we'll see see you on on set set. you always try to do it different yeah because it sounds too monotone